Good morning again. Uh, my name is Ralph Howe. If you're new here, I'm uh, one of the pastors and very, very glad you're here. I've got a beautiful day outside. So um, Sunday's my favorite day of the week. No kidding. I just, I love to be here. I love to connect with everybody even, and see new faces. Um, I love to get caught up on how people are doing and, and uh, it's special to be here and to, to worship together. So um, glad you guys are here. We've been going through this series, I think for about what, 14 months now. Something like that, right? On, um, you know, why am I here? You know, what's God's purpose in this season of my life? And I think we're going to wrap it up today, unless it goes on afterwards. But at the moment, I feel like we're going to wrap it up today. We're going to look at Joseph. We've ended up just kind of walking right through some of the, chronologically through some of the folks in the Bible, from Abraham to Isaac uh, to Jacob. We jumped up to a few other people uh, during communion, Mephibosheth. Uh, We looked at Gideon, and now we're looking at uh, Joseph who's the last main character in the uh, book of Genesis. So we'll look at his story. I know many are familiar with it. Hopefully there'll be some things we pull out that are <clears throat> worthwhile today. And we'll even talk about Jesus a little bit. So I know you guys don't look surprised, so that's good. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Jesus a bit toward the end as well. So when we meet uh, Joseph, he's a 17-year-old, um, brash, arrogant, overconfident, young man. Um, He has the special affection of his father, probably in an unhealthy way. Uh, His father is Jacob, and uh, they have quite an interesting family dynamic that Joseph is raised in. Jacob has four wives, and he has 12 sons. And uh, 10 of those sons were born to three women other than Joseph's mom prior to Joseph being born. And then Joseph's mom also had his full brother, Benjamin. So it's quite an array of dynamics going on in this home. Um, And there are are many characters in the Bible, like when I read through the Bible and I go along, and I know none of them are perfect outside of Jesus, but there are some that you see character traits in them, and you just say, boy, I want to emulate that. And, you know, God, please make that characteristic a part of my life, you know, because you just see a God presence in in the way that they're doing things in their life. This family doesn't have much of that. Okay, now God works in them. What I do like about them is that God works in them and they change and they grow by God's grace. Um, but one of the, the, the real dysfunctions of this family, kind of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, is the parenting. And so the first thing that jumps out to me when we read Joseph's story is how dysfunctional the parenting is. Um, and it goes back to, um, you know, Jacob is the dad of Joseph. Jacob's grandfather was Abraham. And if you remember, we talked about Abraham. Abraham didn't have children with his wife for many years. Then they had their son, Isaac. And Isaac, if you really study it, Isaac became an idol in Abraham's life. Abraham loved Isaac so much that he put Isaac in the place of God in his life. And as we said earlier, children are a gift and a blessing from the Lord. But if we're not careful, not just with children, maybe with jobs, maybe with you know, things, possessions, whatever it is, if we're not careful, we will take the gift that has come from the gift giver and we will put it in the place of the gift giver and we will begin to worship and desire the gift more than the giver. And you know what God has to say about that? Uh-uh, <laughs> right? I think, I think God says, uh-uh, you know, when, when we do that. And so in Abraham's story, God goes about communicating to Abraham in a way that says, listen, your son is a gift. But he's not to be idolized and he's not to take my place in your walk and in my life. And God deals with that. 
Um, then Isaac grows and he becomes a man and he has two boys. He and his wife, Rebecca, have twins. What a blessing, right? Well, here's what the story tells us. Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. But Rebecca loved Jacob more than Esau. And that just makes me scratch my head because I'm a parent. And it's like, can't you just love them both the same? I mean, you might be irritated one day about something, but it doesn't mean you love one more or less. But the scripture says that the parents favored different children and even deceived each other. And it created so much tension and turmoil that these boys had big conflicts. I can't imagine what that looked like throughout their growing up years. But we do know that it culminated in the story where Esau decided he was going to kill Jacob, and he meant it. Now, you talk about dysfunction. I mean, that's dysfunction, right? I mean, my sister used to make fun of, like, you know, that I couldn't match my pants to my shirt, you know, and I thought I needed therapy because of that, right? I mean, you know... Esau was going to kill Jacob. And Jacob's mom came and said, you have got to leave the country so that your brother doesn't kill you. There was some crazy dysfunction going on, right? So Jacob goes off and lives in another country for 20 years and comes back. And then he starts his family. And he has four wives and 12 boys. And the 11th is Joseph, who this story is about. So I will read a good bit of scripture because I just, I'd prefer to hear the scripture uh, explain itself. Um, and so I'm going to start in Genesis 37 is where we find his story. Um, so this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. So you can put yourself in the family, and you can see this kid's favored. He's telling bad stories behind the other's backs. Verse 3 says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Do you see the dysfunction passing down? Loved him more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. Of course. Of course. They couldn't say a kind word to Joseph because of this. So the story goes on. I'll summarize a bit. Joseph is given a gift by God to interpret dreams. And God speaks to him in dreams. And God comes to Joseph in two dreams and says, Your brothers and your family are going to bow down before you. So what does the brash, 17-year-old, arrogant kid do? You guys are going to bow down before me, right? Now, realize 10 of his brothers, like Joseph is 17 at this time. So 10 of his brothers, these are grown men. The Bible tells us that Joseph was strong and handsome and attractive. And so I'd imagine that was part of the family line. So these guys were strong, mature, healthy, you know, men. Picture that. Don't picture little kids playing together. And he says, you guys are going to bow down to me. And these guys say, we hate you. We'll say nothing good to you, right? This is a tough situation going on. So the story goes on. He says, look, you're going to bow down to me. His brother responds, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Uh, You know, this word hated You know, we don't let our kids say it in our family. Now, it comes up, but we talk about them. We tell them, you know, you may not mean that in a deep way, but these words hurt and they matter. But hatred's a, that's a powerful, powerful emotion. So, Jacob's parenting, I think, is not the best. 
because he's openly favoring Joseph and he sets Joseph up for failure. You know what he does? He sends Joseph out. The, the, the boys, the other 11, go out and they're tending the sheep. This was their job. This was their family. And Joseph, Jacob says to Joseph, go out, go see what your brother's doing, or doing and come back and give me a report. He's setting them up for failure, isn't he? You know? And I wonder if Jacob's paying attention at all because he's sending Joseph out into the wilderness to find his brothers. Like They're not like in the front yard. They're like somewhere in you know, this part of the country. And he walks out to find them. Does he realize he's sending him into an, a hostile situation? Because if you know the story, what happens? Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley. So I think Jacob gets low marks as a dad. And that's like the first thing I see in this story. Right now, God's grace covers all that. But one of my lessons is, man, am I setting my kids up to succeed as godly, as a godly man and godly women? You know, or, or is my life as a parent so focused on myself that I'm not paying attention to the, to the overt and the covert, the subtle messages that I'm sending to my kids, and not just my kids, but the people in all of our spheres of influence, you know, because people are watching us. Um, so Joseph goes out to find out what his brothers are doing wrong, to stick it in their faces that he's the favored one, that they're going to bow down to him. And he shows up, and as he approaches, they made plans to kill him. I don't know, I've read, I read this stuff a lot, but I don't always read it to then give a message to a bunch of people. So when I do it to give a message, I think about it more deeply. Here's 11 grown men, see their 17-year-old brother, or maybe a bit older than that at this point, coming, and they say, let's kill him. And they mean it. How terrifying. Joseph shows up, and his brothers ripped his beautiful robe he was wearing, they grabbed him and they threw him into a cistern that had no water in it. I mean, this is a violent moment. Do you think this was terrifying for Joseph? I think it was absolutely terrifying for Joseph. It had to be. And so they take him and they throw him into a pit. And this maybe, to me, is where the story really begins. Because Joseph's got a pretty good life going on because he's the favored one at home. But then life circumstances throw him into a pit. And you know what pit stands for? P-I-T. Pit stands for prophets in training. Okay? <laughs> prophets in training. Have you ever been in a pit? It's amazing to me how many people in Scripture, I'm holding this up like it's my Bible. Pretend this is my Bible. Okay? How many people end up in a pit? We looked at Gideon. Gideon, when we find Gideon, he's in a pit. If you know the story, he's in a hole in the ground. Jonah is one of the great characters in the Bible. Where do we find him? He ends up in the belly of a whale. He goes down into the ship, down into the water, down into the whale. God seems to have, as a part of his schedule, for many of our discipleship programs, a pit, a hole where we can't get any deeper and any lower and any more desperate. And we think maybe God's abandoned us, but he's actually led us to that pit because we're all prophets in training. And this is where Joseph's training begins. In the midst of fear and confusion and terror, we know that he's pleading for his life from his brothers. 
And then the brothers are sitting up while he's crying out, probably injured. He's been roughed up and thrown into a cistern. How far down, I don't know, but he couldn't get himself out. And the brothers sit down to have dinner. It's pretty heartless and cruel. What's up with this family? It's amazing. But it gives me hope because God puts them in Scripture. You know, and many of them, you know, they're listed as saints because God did a work in them and changed them, you know. So God will use anybody. I like that. It makes me happy. So Joseph's crying for his life. The brothers are having dinner, and they see a caravan going by, and they decide, let's go ahead and sell Joseph. We'll get some money for the deal, and then we'll take his coat, and we'll kill an animal, and we'll put blood on it, and we'll tell our dad that he was eaten by a wild animal. Now, that's what they did. Isn't that amazing? His brother, he was pleading. We know he was yelling and pleading and crying for his life and crying for protection. And they took him and they sold him. They put him into slavery and he went into chains. And he walked from that place down into Egypt as a slave who'd been sold by his brothers for silver. This is a dramatic and horrible story. Right? And then these brothers... They take his coat and they put blood on it and they bring it to the dead and they say, we found this in the wilderness. It looks like Joseph's coat. What do you think? And Jacob falls apart in anguish and said, this is my son Joseph's coat. He's been torn to pieces by a wild animal. I can't imagine this family. So it says that Jacob mourned deeply for the loss of his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. And then he would weep. And the brothers allowed him to live in this deception for probably 13 or more years. What kind of, what kind of cruelty is this? The, the, the deception and the dysfunction that's passed from one generation to the next of deception. You know what? There is no room in our families. For secrets. There's no room in our families for dysfunction. I'm, I'm not a counselor, but I have been in many counseling situations through many years in ministry. And if you want to trace the root of many marital problems and family problems, it's because there's secrets. And secrets wound deeply. There should be no secrets. Because the enemy can get a foothold if there's a secret in our lives. Right? So I just, I just throw that out there because the scripture challenges me. And uh, so I just, I just throw it out. Um, so what pits have you been in? What pit has God allowed you to stumble into for some season of your life? How deep have your pits been? How wide have your pits been? Have you rejoiced when God's brought you through a pit and looked back and realized all the work he did while you were in there? Maybe you're in a pit right now. Now, I heard a pastor tell a story one time. One, a lady from his congregation came up after the service to him, and she said, she was like almost in tears. She said, Pastor, I'm going through such a difficult time. And he said, oh, praise the Lord, sister. You know, I get all excited. And, and she said, no, no, Pastor. I said, I'm going through something terrible. And he said, praise the Lord. You're going through it. You're going through it. That means you're going to come out the other side. You know, I thought that was kind of a cute story. So you guys, you guys obviously didn't get it, but I thought it was kind of cute. <laughs> She was going through it. She wasn't stuck in it. God was bringing her through it. That's what God, he doesn't leave us in a pit. He doesn't take us into a challenge and a struggle to punish us. He does it because he's at work. Joseph is a brash, arrogant, 
overconfident, self-centered, 17-year-old man, young man. And God's got a significant work for him to do that he can't do with Joseph in that condition. So he allows him to go into the pit, and the training begins. The training begins. Um, We move along. I'll just read a bit. This is amazing. So while he's in the caravan as a slave, chained up, sold by his brothers for silver, going to be a slave, it says the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. He had gone to Egypt and been sold to Potiphar, who was a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's army. So Potiphar noticed, you know, that the Lord was with Joseph, and in everything he did, he succeeded. So this pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day that Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. I think that is so amazing. I think that is so amazing. The kind of blessing that comes when God anoints a person that whatever he did prospered. You know, and we see that in other people's stories in Scripture as well. And I pray that over myself. I'm like, God, let me be a blessing to others. I mean, bless me too, okay? But let me be a blessing to others. And let people see and acknowledge that you're at work in my story. So I think this is neat. This sentence, it says, so the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded in everything he did. But I'm not sure Joseph is the guy that wrote that. I think somebody wrote that years later as a summary. Because I don't think Joseph was going in chains with blood, you know, and his coat's gone and he's gets sold for money and he's now a slave. I don't think he sat down and said, the Lord was with me and blessed me in everything I did. I think that sentence got added many years later, right? But I'll tell you, I'm impressed with Joseph at this point in the story because Joseph chose to engage with where he was at. He could have given up on his life. He could have not cared. He could have disappointed everybody around him and been overlooked and just gone off into a corner of history but somehow some way he rose up and he responded to the activity of God in his life I'm impressed by that I don't know that I'd have responded that way I mean what kind of training does a 17 year old kid from a dysfunctional family have right but he's got God he's got the Holy Spirit so looks like things are going better and then Joseph happens to be a handsome young man, and Potiphar is gone a lot, and Potiphar's wife is home, and Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph as the personal attendant taking care of the home. And she makes several passes at him to which he rejects. And I know many of you know the story. Um, One time they're in the home alone, and she makes a pass at him. He says no, and he does the right thing. He turns around and runs because she's like physically saying, you know, "Let's, let's make this happen. And she grabs his coat as he's running out the door, and she realizes, I've got a problem. I've got this guy's coat. I better, I better make up a story. So she falsely accuses him of making an advance on her. And Potiphar is told, and Potiphar is furious, and Joseph is sent to prison. It was going pretty good. I mean, it was going great because he was daddy's kid. Then it was awful because he was in the pit. Then it got worse because he went into slavery. Then it got better because he had favor. And he was doing things right from what I can see. 
And then the story got worse again. Falsely accused. He was falsely accused. Don't forget that. That's important. We're going to come back to that later. And he went into prison. It just got worse. His training. He went into another pit. Right? Man. But again, I'm impressed with Joseph. Joseph, you know, how old is he? He's 18. He's 19. He had this opportunity and he said, no way. That would dishonor God. It would dishonor, you know, who I want to be in my life and I'm not going to do that. I'm impressed with that. But I recognize Joseph was able to do that because the spirit of God was at work within him. Right? Joseph was changing. How about you? How about you? This is a mirror. This is a mirror. How about you? Are you changing? If God's activity is at work within you, you should be changing. Uh, Pete Hiskey, my friend who was here preaching last week, if you were here, you saw Pete. His dad is one of the most amazing people I know. He's in his 70s. He's, he's um, influenced presidents of the United States in his ministry, um, personal friends with presidents and stuff. And um, He's got a guy in his life, this guy Jim, who's 75, that for 20 years he's been helping to take care of this handyman, kind of pays him too much money when he does a job. He's witness to him. And for 20 years, this guy has never done a good job for him has stolen things from him and has never shown an interest in 20 years in anything having to do with God. And Jim was having a meeting with some of his small group buddies. They were talking about their lives. And one of the guys said, Jim, you need to cut this guy off. He said, you're wasting your time and your energy. Your time is too valuable. You know, you're pouring into this guy for 20 years and he hadn't changed at all. And Jim kind of looked at the floor and he did this. And then he looked up. He said, yeah, you know, you're right. He has not changed at all in 20 years. He said, but I have. Right? He said, I've changed. God has used this relationship in my life to further shape my character. I, I don't know. I love it. I think it's amazing. Joseph is changing, right? So Potiphar throws him in the prison. Uh, we'll skip that reading. I summarized it. God doesn't abandon Joseph. Joseph goes in the prison, you know. Everything he does goes well there. And it's important that there's just a little side note to the story. At one point, Joseph is in prison for many years, more than, certainly more than two years, maybe many more than that even. Um, and at one point, two characters get thrown into prison with Joseph. And the scripture takes time to explain this to us. And they have some dreams, and Joseph tells them what the dreams are, and sure enough, it comes to pass. And there's two guys in prison with Joseph, and one of them gets set free. He gets a pardon, and the other one gets condemned to death. It's interesting, just throws it into the story. There you go. Somebody on the front row's got it figured out. That's right. That's right. Um, So in the course of time, Joseph's in prison. And Pharaoh has a very disturbing dream. He's trying to lead Egypt. He feels like God's given him a dream. He can't figure it out. Nobody can figure it out. And then someone says, there's a guy in prison who interprets dreams, and they bring Joseph out of the prison before the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells them the dream, and Pharaoh says this. He says, Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. That's right, Mr. Pharaoh, I can. You tell me the dream, and I'll interpret it, and here's my terms, right? Is that what Joseph said? Joseph is growing and changing. He's more broken He's more humble. He's more confident in God. And Joseph says, Pharaoh, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means. 
and set you at ease. That's like, that is a whole life message right there to me, that sentence that Joseph, he's got the perspective. And guess what? All of his years in the pit, all of his years in prison have affected the change that God wants to do in him so that he can now find out why he's there. You know, and Pharaoh's amazed by Joseph as they interact. And Pharaoh says, you're so amazing that I'm putting you in charge of everything in Egypt, the the most powerful country in the world. Now he's in charge of Egypt. Pharaoh says, "In, in the whole land, no one will have more authority except for me in this land. Everything you say will go. You have all my power. And Joseph was 30 years old when his rule began as second in command of Egypt, really co-leader in Egypt. The Bible's got amazing stories in it. I think it's amazing. Just a little side note, Joseph uh, had two sons during this time, and he named one of them Ephraim. And he said, I'm naming you Ephraim because God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. You know, so Joseph paid an emotional pain as he walked through this stuff. Um, So, the story goes on, and there's a famine in the land, and the brothers are living off in another country, and the dad, who thinks Joseph's been dead for a long time, and the famine is so severe that there's no food except for uh, Joseph, because he got the dream from God, and he had all the food with Pharaoh, and people from all over the world had to come to them and buy food, and they got really, really wealthy. That was the plan, right? Pharaoh became wealthy. Joseph ran it all. And one day, here come the brothers, having no idea, of course, that Joseph is the one they have to come speak to. And they come asking for food. And I won't go through the whole story, but it's an interesting story. You know, I think Joseph got a little revenge, and then he, his heart was broken, and God touched him. And, but ultimately, the brothers are there because they're going to starve, and they're going to die. And the only hope they have is to come to Joseph, who they don't know is Joseph, and ask for food and be willing to pay for it. And Joseph, with his brothers there, he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. The famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. And again, a third time, he says, so it was God who sent me here, not you. This is amazing to me. And I believe it's a perspective that every one of us needs to develop in our lives. Whatever circumstances happen, a boss fires you, a friend does this to you, a family member betrays you. It doesn't mean God made it happen, but it does mean God works in all of it to shape our character. And ultimately, we have to get to a place where we say God is sovereign. God is over all and rules all and works in all things for our good. And Joseph got that. It's amazing. And he not only says, you know, it wasn't you who sent me here as a slave. It was God who sent me here. But then he says... And God is also the one who's now made me, you know, the advisor to Pharaoh, you know. You know, God's also the one that's now raised me up. I didn't do that in my own strength. My ability to interpret dreams didn't pave my way to a better future. God's sovereignty did it. So Jacob, the dad who'd been deceived, finds out his son is alive. He comes. They have an amazing reunion. Jacob blesses the Pharaoh 
and they all get the food they need, and basically they live happily ever after, right? A beautiful, amazing story. And that's how we finish the book of Genesis. We go Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And it's just an unbelievable story. Joseph didn't have the same privilege that Abraham had. Abraham was told his purpose, why he was here, there, in another country, before he went. So that was cool for him. Joseph didn't find out until the back end. Joseph didn't even know he was going to another country. And yet there he was. But in the end, he understood. So maybe you know why you're here in China, here as a parent, here without a job, whatever your circumstance. Or maybe you have no idea, but God's in it. So be comforted by that. Right? And have a clarity that God has a purpose. You know, the, the, the most clear-thinking man that's ever walked the earth was Jesus, right? And Jesus walked through some pits in his earthly experience as well. And when he was in the middle of the worst one, um, Pilate, who had the ability to set Jesus free from the crucifixion, which he was in the process of having happen to him when they had a little conversation. And Pilate is talking to Jesus, and he's like, hey, you know I have power over you, don't you? And Jesus is like, no, you don't. Not really. And Pilate says, you know, these people here, they say you're a king. You know, are you a king? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now that's clarity. In the midst of great distress in his circumstances, he says, I know exactly why I'm here. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm here to bear witness to the truth. See, I, I don't know what your, the specific will that God has for your life is, but I do know this. One thing about God's will for your, your life, he desires you to be saved and forgiven of your sin. Right? He desires you to come into a saving relationship with Jesus. And then I know a second thing about God's will for your life. He desires your life to reflect his grace and his holiness to the people that you do your life around. So I know that about you as well. So you don't have to walk out of here having no idea what your purpose is, right? I love the story of Joseph. We're just going to finish with a worship song here uh, in just a minute, but I'm going to I'm going to read a comparison between Joseph and Jesus. Many of you would have never seen this before. I didn't see it. It was shown to me. Um, But Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ. Just like everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Listen to this comparison and, and then we'll just go right into worship. Both Joseph and Jesus are shepherds. Joseph shepherded sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, called himself the good shepherd. Both Jesus and Joseph were objects of special love by their fathers. Both Joseph and Jesus were hated by their brothers. They were both sent by their fathers to their brothers. They both had robes taken away from them. Jesus at his crucifixion. They both went to Egypt. Joseph as a slave, Jesus as a baby. They were both conspired against and sold for silver. They were both falsely accused. Jesus stood three times before the court. And three times the court said, you're innocent. But he was falsely accused and ultimately condemned unfairly to go to the cross. Both convicted, though innocent. Both put in chains. Both were in prison with two others. Jesus was on the cross with two thieves, right? One thief was given a pardon 
The other thief did not ask for one. Same as Joseph in the prison. One's set free, one's killed. Both were 30 years old when they rose to prominence. Both ultimately forgave their brothers, saved their nation. They were exalted in suffering, and everything was placed under their authority. I don't know, does it look like a comparison to you? The scripture's amazing. Everything points to Jesus. And if you don't know him, then ask him into your life today. God ultimately intended the suffering that each of these men underwent by the hand of man to be the good of many others. And Jesus suffered for you and for me so that we could be at peace with God.